quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm doing better than I deserve. Good to see you, Anderson. I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, and welcome to everybody here in the new age of rebirth and renewal after Easter. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. The president can try to rewrite history. He can try to cover up and do what he does best, which is cover his own flank. But all Americans want to know, all we must demand to know, is how the hell is he going to get us out of this? Saying time to reopen is not enough when 23,000 lay dead. More than half a million of us are sick. You know I have it. I'm fighting through it. Most of us are fighting through it. But how can we expected to go through this again? How can we be expected to do that? Well, that's what they're telling us. If you're going to reopen and you don't have a plan to track cases and keep us safe, you are damning us to repeat our own ruin. That's the fact. It's the top question that governors from coast to coast are demanding an answer to. Because the president says, keeping us safe, the testing is on them. They tell you, one after the other, as you'll hear tonight, they can't do it. So if Trump says he has total authority to decide what happened, but he doesn't have total commitment to make sure it happen, where will we It's not in America's country. It's sure as hell isn't in America's best interest. We have to prepare the way forward or we will all fall back. Our answer is for us to be on this question together ever as Let's get at it. You know, uh, as such is the story of the coronavirus, that as we finally seem to start being coming together in big collectives and in quiet areas and staying at home, we see the curves starting to flatten. We see the worst expectations being backed off by experts. That's good. That is proof that the remedy was realistic doesn't mean they were wrong. That is a silly notion because their projections were based on whether or not we did the right things. We're doing the right things. It's working. But if we don't have as good a plan going forward, what happens when we remove the only measure keeping us safe? This will meet you with urgency, but maybe as not, not as much as it meets my ears because I'm sick. And because I talk to people who are sick all the time and I am kind of bathed in their battles and I can't believe that this president would want to expose any more of you to what I may battle as someone who's strong and lucky for a month. I can't believe that we would put parents 
and people, young and old, in that position all across this country without a plan. It makes no sense. The president can't reopen the country with a big bang without a big plan. You gotta have one. We got here by not having a plan. Repeating it would be insanity. It literally makes me sweat just as an idea. So let's talk. Let's be calm. Let's be measured and let's be persistent. Okay. Our first guest tonight is the Connecticut governor. All right. Uh, Now, he has been watching what's been happening. And I want him to respond to this latest notion about what our future should be. The president of the United States calls the shots. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. Total. Your authority is total. It's total. It's total. And the governors know that. So if a, if a the governors know that. Now you have a couple of bands of, of, excuse me, excuse me. Nobody knows it. Okay? Let's be very clear. We're about to talk to a governor. The governor of New York, as you know, my brother, he doesn't agree with this. Nobody agrees with it. There's a legitimate 10th Amendment issue here about states' rights in the absence of those rights being directly delegated to the federal government. They are reserved in the states. But this is a bigger problem that I don't want to burden the governor of Connecticut uh, with, but I want you to have it on your shoulders, okay? He's saying he has the absolute authority to reopen, but he will not own the absolute responsibility to do testing, identification, isolation, and treatment of those who have cases when we do reopen. He says that's on the states. The states say they can't handle it. So you believe that your ultimate authority, this all powerfully, loves to say how powerful he is. But how does he use that power? And when? Would he use it to have our manufacturers make the things that we need? No, not really. Will he take with that authority the responsibility of having a plan to test what will be fundamentally important to the well-being of your family and mine? No. Then what kind of power does he really have and how can we even consider him exercising it with this type of recklessness, perception of risk and disregarding it? Connecticut's governor is led, uh, Ned Lamont. He has developed a reputation for being a student of the situation here, watching what was happening in other places, making smart decisions for his state. Governor, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Chris. It is nice to see you. Now, in no I'll tell you what I saw when I heard that. That oh, this is ahead. a president who wants to throw verbal hand grenades. And uh, two weeks ago, he told your brother and myself, I want a mandatory quarantine of the uh, New York metropolitan area. And we called them up and talked them down. We got something a lot more reasonable. Now, two weeks later, he wants a mandatory opening up of everything. I just think he likes us to run down these rabbit holes. Um, you're right. The governors are going to make the determination what's best for their state. We care deeply about the health and safety of our citizens, and we're going to get our economy going on a prudent, thoughtful way. Uh, you said verbal hand grenades. The problem is he throws them. They blow up in your face because now he says, well, testing. Well, that's on the states. My decision is just to reopen the economy. We'll deal with what he assumes his power is in a moment. But let's just be painfully honest. I know in New York, They can't handle that kind of responsibility, not with that kind of scale. Can you in Connecticut guarantee the people who voted for you and those who didn't, frankly, you're in charge of all of them, that if they reopen the job markets and all of the attendant services in Connecticut, that you can mark any new cases and make sure you can contact trace and get people treated? 
Absolutely not. But we are working our heart out right now to get the reagents in place, make sure we do the molecular testing, ramp up our um, antibody testing. Obviously, if the feds would take the lead on that, it would be a lot more effective. Short of that, look, um, Andrew Cuomo, myself, Phil Murphy, and six other governors got together and said, we'll take the lead uh, in the absence of the federal government. We're going to be the ones setting up the rules and standards in terms of how we do our testing, because Connecticut will never be safe unless uh, New York is safe and vice versa. Mm. You guys are doing it on the East Coast. We're seeing it happening also on the West Coast. The president says, you're wasting your time, Governor. You don't have the power. The power is mine to reopen the economy, including everything that involves in your state and your people. Do you agree? Look, he's got the bully pulpit, but we're the ones that have to enforce it. Everybody knows that um, it's the governors where the rubber meets the road. I think every governor knows what it takes to get it done. Just like he said, when I'm in a mandatory quarantine, New York City, we had to say, um, Mr. President, there are 120 roads, not to mention ferries and railroads, in and out. There's no way to do that. And he didn't do it. Now, if he says to you, listen, I'm doing it. You're right. You'll figure it out, Ned Lamont, governor of Connecticut. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to reopen. How can you follow that order? How can you comply when you know you can't keep your people safe? I could not keep my people safe if we tried to do that overnight, telling me that anybody can go in and out of nursing homes when our nursing homes are on fire. Uh, look, we've still got a, a rising infection rate in this state. We still have rising hospitalizations, not as fast as two weeks ago, thank God, but they're still going up fast. You know, the boat is very tippy right now, and this is the time for steady leadership. So let's not throw any more of these verbal hand grenades. But you know why he throws them, Governor. And again, I'm very careful, uh, not just with my brother, but with all the governors, all the leaders. I don't want to put you sideways with the president. I know that he can punish. I understand. And I know you've got to think about your people and getting the most resources. But I'm telling you, if nobody stands up and says, I know it sounds good. I know it's what a lot of us want to hear. Hell, I want to hear it, Governor. I'm sick of being in my basement. I want to get out. I want to be better. I want to go out and do the things I want to do. But you know what? I'm not ready. I still have low-grade fever. I am a metaphor for this country. And they think it sounds good. And they're going to think he's saying the right thing and you're saying the wrong thing. Unless governors like you stand up and say, he's not giving it to you straight. We're not ready to reopen. Can you say that? I can say that. That's what we had nine governors today say. They said, we're going to open up. We're going to do it on a thoughtful basis. I'm not going to send um, hundreds of typhoid, typhoid Marys out in the community and have another whole round of reinfection. Talk about taking the confidence out of this economy. Talking about taking people down. If we let that happen, um, shame on us. Not one governor will let that happen. Not to their state, not to their broader community. And governor, just quickly, and again, because you have been I believe, fairly um, called out uh, in a good way, called whatever the good version of being called out is, celebrated for being a student of the situations around you, okay? You've watched, you've acted with deliberate speed. Good for you. Is there any question in your mind that this federal government didn't have more that it could have done sooner to help those who got hit early? Look, uh, within a month, we're going to have 
all the ventilators, most of the PPE and other um, probably even testing that we needed. But imagine if we had started this three months ago, what a difference that would have made. That said, we'll have plenty of time in elections and history books to realize the mistakes that were made in the past. I think every governor is saying, what do we do now to get our state on track, keep it safe and slowly, methodically open up the economy again? I agree with the analysis 100 percent, Governor. It's not for me about looking back. It's about understanding how you move forward. And this this president is denying that he did anything wrong because he wants to give America a false sense of confidence that he knew what to do then and he knows what to do now. And if we don't do better now than we did in the first phase, we'll repeat the same situation. And I just don't want to see all that human pain. Governor Ned Lamont, thank you for your candor. I know it can come at a price, but I think right now we're at such a pivotal moment. We need our leaders with one voice to say, we've got to do this right or it shouldn't be done at all. So Governor, thank you for keeping us apprised of the situation in Connecticut. Thank you for making yourself available and we are available to you. You're looking good, Chris. And believe me, the governor is going to be speaking with one voice on this. Nice to see you. Thank you. God bless and be well. All right. Now, look, it is not easy for a governor to say what he just said. He's going to ask for things from the federal government. He may or may not get it. They punish. I'm telling you it happens on a regular basis. If you're not nice to Trump, he's not nice to you. The problem is he wields all of the tools in the federal basket. And when he wants to punish you, it can sting. Governor Ned Lamont has no reason to not want to reopen. There is no upside to being closed economically into morale, but it's about leadership by balancing equities. And I want to turn to the medical takeaways on this, okay? You know Sanjay Gupta. You know he understands public health care policy. Can you reopen an economy if you are not ready for the public health ramifications. Sounds like a no-brainer question, right? Well, then why are we just about to answer it the wrong way? Next. President was doing what he does best today. He was attacking those who criticize him. It doesn't matter. This is no time to back away from power. We have to call out the facts, the facts, and the facts are very clear. This administration, led by this president, downplayed the threat of coronavirus for weeks. If we had used those weeks to enforce the messages and get the resources that we did since, we would be in a different situation. The president wants you to believe the most important thing to do was closing off China. Here's his argument to you. What did you do with the time that you bought? You know, the we month did. of February. That, you that's know, we did. Gap. What do you do? Month of February. What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when in you, you, excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January seventeenth. January, February. The entire January. Month of February. I said in January. Your video has a complete gap. On January thirty. What did your administration do in February for the time that your travel ban bought? A lot. What? A lot. Again, facts, okay? Closing us away from China so the Chinese couldn't come here and vice versa, Europe as well, those were pieces. But the fundamental piece here was, 
is and always be what we communicate to and among one another. Do you understand? It was always about shutting down our movements and communities here. And he never wanted any piece of it. And it is demonstrably false that after he closed down China, this quiet period of about a month, that they were doing so much. No, they weren't. He was lying to you about this idea of this being bad, being a hoax by Democrats, that there'd be a trickle of cases that would magically disappear. And what's most important for you to remember is not his hyperbole. It's that he was being told by people in and around him in the White House that that wasn't true for weeks. Let's bring in Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You know, Sanjay, my, my friends are watching this and hey, Mo man, don't get too heated up. Don't get too heated up. This is the time, brother. This is the time because you reopen the economy without a plan that allows for people to be rapidly tested, traced, identified, treated and isolated. There will be thousands more like me uh, losing months of their lives to this virus. You know it and I know it and it's unacceptable. We can't have it go forward if they don't have a plan, Sanjay. Not if we can avoid it by getting the American people on the same page. There's plenty of evidence now, Chris, uh, you know, both uh, around the world and, and throughout history of, of that being a problem. If you open up too early, there's resurgences. And now they're modeling it for all these different counties around the United States. Chris, I want to I bring up a point that I think uh, you'll appreciate. It's a bit of a nuanced point, but it goes back to this, the whole timing of things. Just put up the timeline that I created uh, for, for a second. I want to show you something, Chris. Um, it hasn't, you know, this, this, whole, this whole pandemic has not had the same level of concern throughout. And I think that's the nuance, Chris. So January 7th, we find out there's a novel coronavirus. Big deal, public health community, okay? New virus circulating in humans. What's this going to be? Uh, keep in mind, you know, SARS, when that happened, that was also a coronavirus problem, but it ended up affecting only 8,000 people around the world. 800 people died. So people are thinking, is this another SARS? We worried a lot about that. That didn't end up being a big deal, or is this going to be something worse? If you fast forward now to the end of January, Chris, that timetable you're talking about where they put in the ban uh, for, mm -hmm. for flights from China, you know what also happened on that day, January 31st? President, I'm sorry, uh, Anthony Fauci went to the lectern and he said uh, there's, there's uh, uh, concerns that there may be asymptomatic transmission of this virus. That's a huge deal. Chris, that is a huge deal. And as early as the end of January, certainly by middle of February, when I interviewed Dr. Redfield, we knew there was asymptomatic transmission. So there's a nuance in here. At what point did it become a big enough concern to say this thing is here, it is spreading, it is spreading asymptomatically, it's going to be a problem? As early as January 31st, certainly within a week or two after that, that was clear. So that's the real issue here. You know, well, the, the, the stay-at-home orders really weren't recommended until a month later. In Washington, Sanjay, not only are you right that the stay-at-homes weren't and until a month later, and remember, those were precipitated by whom? The governors. The president didn't want That's his right. hand on them. He never wanted to say, we need to close down. That's why he didn't want to own testing, because testing would reveal realities that would force his hand, so he was backing off testing as the federal requirement. But more importantly, put back up uh, Sanjay's timeline and thank you so much for this. So instructive, both in terms of what we knew and what we did not do. 
January 21st. Right. right. If you were to go January 25th or 6th and talk to the Washington governor, you know what he was saying, right? We got to shut down. Remember how when they realized what was happening in that elder facility, and it could be any elder facility, they started locking down everything out of real justifiable panic, that that was the only way to stop the spread. So we had plenty of time, Sanjay. We didn't do it. And now here's what the president is saying. I have absolute authority, not your bailiwick. I think he's got big Tenth Amendment issues legally, but let's push past the law. Hmm. Testing's not my thing, Sanjay. That's on the states. But what's on me? is doing the big bang. And I'm gonna do the big bang if we reopen and states like Connecticut, where his governor, Ned Lamont was just honest and said, I cannot keep my people safe with testing if we reopen. What kind of mix does that give us around this country? I mean, that, 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 is, that is the the problem, Chris. I mean, it, it, you know, testing, and I'm talking about testing for the virus. So there's, there's a, uh, a good stuff that can come out of testing for the antibodies as well. But I'm saying just the basic testing that we've been talking about since, you know, January. That, it, without that, uh, widely available and widely distributed, because we keep talking about the numbers of tests. That's a good thing to pay attention to. But can people still get them? at the end of the day, people who need them in various places around the country, can they get them? How easy is this going to be to get? Because you're going to need to do a lot of testing. Some say, you know, 750,000 tests a day as we're coming out of this curve to be able to to identify people who, who have the infection. You can isolate them, contact, trace them, all the stuff we're talking about. Test, trace, and then hopefully treat the third T. We don't have a treatment yet, but hopefully, you know, we're going to have one of those at some point as well. But without it, and, you know, they, they need help with the testing. They, the, just the numbers are so high. I mean, we're going through something most of us in our lifetime have never experienced. So they're going to need the testing. They've always needed the testing. And it's going to be, we, we, the te- we're not out of that phase of needing the testing, Chris. And I know, by, by the way, I got I to gotta ask, because you, you look a little bit, you look a little bit better to me, uh, Chris. Are you, are you feeling better, too? I uh, feel better. I'm scared by this. Um, I'm scared. I'm scared by the potential of this. And it frustrates me because I can't get out of this basement. Um, I still have this low grade fever. I can't shake it. And I know everybody tells me it's gradual. It takes time. It's anywhere between, uh, you know, two to three and a half weeks. Um, but it is maddening to have this little stupid fever, this ninety nine, nine and a half fever. The body aches are better. My breathing's getting better. It's getting stronger. Uh, I'm now at the 3,500 that you wanted me to get to on that spirometer, uh, the thing where I have to blow on it and make the ball go. I've never hated a happy face as much as I do doing that spirometer because it's the (laughs) smiley face. That's where you have to keep the little ball when you're blowing up. So it's the most painful place to keep it. But I can't beat it. And I am a metaphor, Sanjay, for the country where not just the, the face of how people are sick. There's a whole range. I'm saying I'm ready to get out of the basement. I'm sick of being sick. I've had it. I want to get back to work, but I'm not ready. And I don't have a plan to be ready. Yeah. That's where we are right now. And it's like the president saying, no, I'm good. Get out, Chris. Go do your job. You're good to go. I'll get people sick. Mm. It's so striking to me, Chris, because, you know, what you're describing and part of the reason I ask uh, each time I see you is because. I mean, this is instructive. You know, I mean, this is part of how we learn. Uh, We knew this was a novel coronavirus, but what does that mean exactly? Besides the fact that it's new, we have no immunity to it. We're all learning together. This is different than SARS, which was also a coronavirus. Uh, SARS was not nearly as contagious as this. By the way, Chris, it was a lot more lethal. SARS was probably 10% fatality rate. 
H1N1 was super contagious, but not, not lethal, really, about a third of the rate of mm -hmm. uh, lethality of flu. This one is, we're learning about this. You know, we're talking, as you said, two to three weeks of illness. That's a long period of illness. You know, is that, is that going to be normal for everybody? We don't know. There are some people who seem to get really quite sick suddenly from this virus and some people who sort of languish along for a period of time and then, you know, thankfully improve. That's most people. Most people like you are going to improve. I'm confident of that. But, you know, it's, it's a tough road. How many days has it been now for you? I was diagnosed. I tested positive two weeks ago today. I probably had light symptoms a few days before it. I mean, I felt lousy. That's why I wanted to get tested because I knew I'd been exposed to multiple people who uh, tested positive. And as an essential worker and stuff, you know, I knew I had to make sure because I was going to be too much in the mix. Um, so I got tested and, you know, it's been two weeks. But I'll tell you what we're going to hear about, Sanjay. And I know this because I've been talking to so many people all over the country and people are afraid to talk about it. And I'm not. This virus uh, creates emotional illness and creates psychological illness. Uh, I'm telling you, hmm. it is in my head, <laughs> not just figuratively in terms of messing with you because you're sick for a long time. It is mm -hmm. causing people depression and it's creating brain fog and it's creating um, edginess in people. That can happen from fever also as you do your research and all that. I know you know this already, Doc. Um, I'm experiencing that. It messes with your head, this virus. And I don't know where it leaves you afterwards. And the experts I'm talking to are saying to me increasingly, yes, yes, we've seen that. But how do you treat it? And what does it mean down the road? We don't know. People are having scarred lungs after this, where they don't have the same lung capacity afterwards that they did before. We're going to learn a lot of things. And that's even more reason to yeah. make sure that we keep as few people from getting it as possible. Sanjay, not everybody has the good fortune that I do to have a Sanjay on speed dial. Uh, and you are a gift. And thank you for helping me get through this. Uh, anytime, brother. And, you know, I'm glad you again, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think too many times this gets turned into a binary issue, Chris, people who've lived and people who have not. And, you know, you're going to be in the recovery column. You'll be listed as recovered. But what does that really mean? to be recovered, which is what I think you're driving at, Chris. So I hope you'll keep having me back on because I want to hear about I'm, I'm learning. I really am. I think we all are. So I appreciate it. I'm glad for you to go to school on my bad fortune. No, I'm kidding. Sanjay, you're the best. Uh, you are always welcome and you are a gift to me. Thank you. And now look, and, and as Sanjay will tell you all day long, and he's right to tell you, I'm as good as it gets. Okay. I have the means. I have the ability to be in a nice place, isolated by myself. I got a wife who is killing herself to take care of me and my family. I've got every box checked. My job is secure as far as I know. Imagine when you have none of those things. It is really important for us to stay connected with what's going on, especially if we're all going to get on board in this great big hurry to create more risk of more cases. I want to check back with a family I introduced you to. Her father, her husband was in the hospital. Now he's home. He needs a lot of help. She's still sick. She has it like I do. She's got kids who has it, have it, and she's got little ones, five and seven, that she's got to figure out how to take care of. Can you imagine all of that? We're going to talk to her next. All right. Let's stay connected to people who are really up against this. Uh, the front lines are obviously in the hospitals, but they're also really battle lines drawn in our own homes. The Mandel family, 
um, greatly affected by this virus. Lauren, her husband, who's a doctor, um, both tested positive. He had to be hospitalized. They then sent him home. Wait till you hear the story of what kind of shape he came home in. They're blessed with four kids, 17, 15, 7, and 5. Now the two oldest are showing symptoms. And they have to find ways to share how to take care of seven and five. Uh, I was chatting with Lauren uh, this weekend. Lauren Thomas Mandel joining us now. Uh, how are you feeling today, champ? Um, you're talking, I'm feeling okay. I had a very long day. It was very, very rough. Um, we started off with some problems in the morning. But, um, you know, besides the shortness of breath, I cannot get rid of my shortness of breath. It is very bad. And your fever is where? My fever has been gone for about four or five days now. I believe everything you said. Um, I fevered that 99.2, that 99.3. You just want to, like, throw the thermometer at the wall and, you know, you've had enough of it. And I agree. I'm 18 days I've been in my bedroom and I am ready to venture outside. I'm ready to be a human being again. Right. I'd actually like to throw real clothes on instead of just pajamas. Um, I don't, you know, you know, you know, it's coming that there has to be an end somewhere in sight, but I'm not so sure where and when that. And it's so interesting. You know, I hope Sanjay is hearing this because you and I are dealing with the same progression, but different symptoms. So I can't get rid of the fever. Now, I'm a little bit ahead of you. Susan, my writer, was telling me that it's not two weeks today. It's two weeks tomorrow that I was diagnosed. OK, um, so let's say it's tomorrow. That's 14 days, really like 16 days. I can't get rid of the fever, but my breathing has gotten better. Um, that tightness in my chest, you know, that one big breath that you take where you don't know if you're like going to kind of cough or throw up thing. You know, you just get that weird yeah. pain <laughs> that is abating a for me. But the fever, especially if I get amped up, like I'm freaked out about the idea of them reopening societies and not having plans to test and treat. I mean, that freaks me out. OK, they're going to create like an army of us. Um, and so I start to sweat. As soon as it starts to become, you know, something I'm serious about, I sweat. So you're dealing with your symptoms every bit as bad as mine, but you're taking care of the little ones. How's that going? Right. It's going. This morning, they decided to leave the refrigerator open all night. So when I went downstairs, that did not help breathing. Throughout the entire refrigerator, got on the phone. One of my brother-in-laws and my mom and stepdad were able to get us necessities immediately. So we were able to eat today. Um, you know, they definitely are running the house. They're in charge. They're doing whatever. And, you know, we're trying to get ourselves back on track. The 17 year old, thank goodness is feeling good. And tomorrow he is allowed around the house. He's out of quarantine, um, with a mask. The 15 year old is still rearing to go. She's in the, you know, the thrill of it right now, right in the middle of it. And hopefully she'll make a positive turn soon. And, um, you know, my husband came home yesterday, very, very weak. Um, the paramedics dropped him off at the bottom of my steps, eight concrete steps. He had to walk up by himself. They didn't have the proper attire, so they couldn't walk him in, dropped a bag of his clothes on the floor. He had to bend down and the rest of us are too weak and too sick to help him. So we couldn't really help him. And he had to walk all the way up the stairs into the 17 year old's room. And that's kind of where he's been for the past 24 hours. How is he doing? He's doing okay. Um, he had nights are not good for him. He gets very panicky and nervous and his heart rate races. And, you know, now especially being at home, it's harder to calm down. But, um, you know, at one point he 
called one of his colleagues last night, then called me and we got him calm and he's been pretty good today. So hope, hopefully he's hoping for a few hours of sleep tonight so he can have some peace and strength for the next day. Is his big problem, obviously the lungs were in distress. That's why he went in out of the hospital, double pneumonia. Uh, how's his fever? Right. How are his symptoms? His fever has been gone. Um, he you know, keeps checking his pulse ox. He's at that point, like we are with those monitors, you know, checking it every five seconds and making sure it's okay. Checking his heart rate. He says he feels good, you know, just tired, very weak, doing a lot of stomach laying because that helps with the breathing for those people who don't have this, thank goodness, and don't know. Um, but you know, he's tired. It's, it's a very, like you said earlier, it's very draining. It's not even just a physical draining. It's a very big emotionally draining illness. Right. And whether it's the exhaustion or the fever, us always being heated up, I know my head's not right. Like, I know that I am not pumping as much IQ as I normally am. And when I do it, it's like a, a concentrated band of time. And then I'm exhausted for like two and a half hours. But the reason I want to keep people bringing back to you, uh, to your stories twofold. One, you check every box of dealing with the madness at home. Uh, and also I am blown away by your ability to show up for your family and to deal with things that I'm barely making it through myself. I could never handle what you're handling. And I think it's such an amazing testament to family. And I want people exposed to that too. You guys, the Mandels are blowing me away as a sign of how families get through this together. Yeah, well, I need an elevator. So if anyone can do that stat, that would be fabulous. So I don't have to walk the steps. Every time I walk the steps, I come up to the top and I just like collapse and pan, make it to my bed, check the pulse ox. And, you know, I'm like, count it down to the next meal when I have to go back down. Now you're but good the in, steps the mid, are gonna you're in the mid to high 90s, the O2 in your blood, mid 90s, high uh, 90s. Um, 98, 99. So I don't really have to worry. Oh, the awesome. shortness of breath, I... Yeah. So the shortness of breath for me, I can even get it to a hundred every once in a while, but the shortness of breath is more like, I can't, it's like not in my chest. It's more up higher. And I think my allergies are, help, are not helping. And it's, yeah. you know, you can't take your allergy medicines. You can't use nose sprays or anything for sending the COVID through your body. So there's a lot right. of other complications that go with it than just having the COVID. Well, look, hopefully uh, you'll start to see people making some turns in the house Hopefully they're right about this antibody thing and that if we make it through, uh, we'll be better set up and that we won't keep handing it back and forth in the family. I know that you had seen different symptoms with different of your kids and your husband versus you. It's just a yep. weird thing that we all have the same thing. And we're all affected differently. And now there's only one silver lining to you having had a hard time with the refrigerator overnight. And I'm probably the only person who heard about that and was slightly happy about it. And you know why? Because now you're going to accept my care package. Sharon kept saying, <laughs> you can't send me anything. I don't like asking for help. Not anymore. Now I got you because now the refrigerator is empty. So we're going to send you things because you deserve the help like everybody does and like you will do for others. God forbid they get this in their household the way you've had it in yours. I don't want to take you from the kids, but I want you to know I'm thinking about you. We're going to stay in touch and we're going to send you something. Okay, Lauren. Yes. And thank we're you at the so end. Chris. We're, we're at we're at the end. We're going to get better soon. It's there. We're at the end. <laughs> well, I love your optimism. Uh, I love it. Uh, you need it. Uh, you need it for the kids. 
and I wish you well. Lauren Thomas Mandel, you are really what I call an American. You're getting your family through this. God bless your husband. Give him a hug. And I will uh, be back on the phone with you after the show tonight and figure out what we can send. Okay, Lauren? Thank you. All right. Imagine juggling all of that while you're sick with this, with this funky chest squeezing sickness. Amazing what people can get through. And God bless the people who are reaching out to help them. They deserve it and they'll pass it forward. Now, why is this so freaky for me reopening? Why don't I want to reopen? Of course I want to reopen. I'm desperate to reopen. It's fundamental that we reopen. But I have to share the obvious concern about doing it the wrong way. That's the argument next. We've got to listen to it because it's our reality. All right. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. Now, let's apply that to our current reality. If we don't have a plan that addresses testing, tracing, isolating, and treating the cases that invariably will come up when we reopen, and with no plan we reopen anyway, we're going to have more virus spread. Trump says tracking testing, that's the state's problem. My power, baby, I'm going to reopen with a big bang. That would literally be a move that will blow up in our faces. The president literally wants to repeat the root of our ruin. Listen. We were way ahead of schedule. They said, I acted late on closing down the country. Everything we did was right. Everything you did was not right. You were never ahead of schedule. You did not do what was asked of you or from you, from people. That is the truth. You had a month where you shut down travel, but would not pull the string on closing down activity communities and states. You just said you have the power to do it. By the way, I don't think you're right. But even if you're right, you still did it wrong. You still did it, speaking wrong, you still did it wrong. You still didn't close down communities when Washington and California were calling for it. The governors there had to do it themselves. And that's fine, that's leadership. The reason I'm making this point is Republicans aren't going to tell you this. And Democrats in power, look, they got to be careful. Trump punishes you for what you say that seems bad for him. But we can't let it go. Him saying he was ahead of the game and did everything right is a lie. Fauci's telling you the truth. He was slow early on on this. He did tell people he doesn't think America really had to worry about it. He was wrong. The picture changed. The fact changed. His appraisal changed. And he's right that if they had done sooner, including him, we may have been in a better position. Now, the president says that's bad. You fix it. And he gets him up there today in front of the media. Fix it. Fix it. Now, imagine being Tony Fauci, the most credible man in America, except on this righty fringe of people who want to protect the president or think they're protecting him. Why do you think Trump's numbers went up, my brothers and sisters on the right? You think it's because?
because of Tony Fauci or despite Tony Fauci? I'll give you a hint. It's the former. Why would you go after the guy who's calming America when you're getting credit for it? The only reason you can resist reality here is pure partisan poison. And I say we are sick enough from that. All levels of federal government were slow. Okay, this started with going slowly at the federal level. And that created constipation on the state process. The president didn't like the look of the United States combating this virus by shutting down because he knew it would look bad for the economy and it would be bad for the economy. I know that. You know that. Most importantly, he knows it. And he's intent on lying to us about it, which has dreadful implications for his willingness to do anything differently now. The president reporting that our federal government is ready to do everything right makes no sense in the context of where we are right now. I can literally hear him in my head right now. I have no idea why. Although it's always good to talk to you and listen to the president at the same time. Ah, television. So here's our reality. People around the president were saying to him, this is going to be bad. You have to do something. This is going to be bad. You have to do something. That is obviously true now. The reporting is all over it. He didn't. Why? He didn't like how it looked. He was hoping it was going to be better than they said. He was wrong. Now, the idea of missing the mark and where that leaves us now. We all know this president will protect himself. I'm not worried about him. Who will protect the people from his political protection of himself? I speak for those who are sick and those who will become sick and the families who will be burdened by that illness. I don't want to see one more go through what I'm going through right now, what Lauren Mandel is going through in her house with her husband sick and her sick and the kids are sick and people are afraid to help and people can only do so much. We have to protect ourselves from more of this. We have to protect our healthcare workers from more of this. We want to call them our heroes. We want to cheer for them, but we're going to reopen our economy and our communities without a plan to test, we are throwing them under the bus. The Big Bang is an explosion in their face, and you know it, or at least you know it now. This president is in the business of shunning responsibility. He didn't want to own the decision to shut down the country. The travel restrictions were the easy part. This was always about restricting access within the country. It's the breast prophylactic device we have. It's what's flattening the curve. As soon as the cases started to come, the only thing that Trump was uh, arguing about was who needed to do the testing and that it wasn't him. That's what it was about. It will only be a trickle. The cases are going to disappear. It's going to be fine. And all this testing stuff, this is on the states, was never true. And so this is where we are. Here is the argument to you. It was never going to be a trickle. It will not be a trickle if he reopens. And if we do not have a plan, you are asking for people to get sick, for families to be broken up, and for our healthcare workers to be overwhelmed. That's what no plan to do testing, that's what leaving it to the states to do testing means. We can't handle it. And that is the truth.
Now, let's take a break. When I come back, let's reflect on what's getting us through this, okay? We say we care about those healthcare workers. Do we care enough about them to have a plan? Let's remind ourselves of what they matter and what we have to matter to each other. Next. I want to show you something here, make sure we got it. Um, These are our first responders celebrating our first responders on the front lines uh, in the hospitals. Look and listen to this. Sirens are usually scary, but not here. More than two dozen New York City police units rolled by a Brooklyn hospital to thank their partners in this fight. And they are partners. EMTs are dropping all over the place. 17%, 17% of the NYPD are out because of COVID. Who knows how many more they'll be. I also want to see what greeted New Yorkers moments later tonight. Look at this rainbow. Gotta remember the rainbows. Gotta remember the rainbows. Gotta remember as Maddie Joseph Thaddeus Stepanek, the child poet who left us way too soon, reminded, you gotta learn to play after every storm. We're going through a storm right now. I know. I know this is tough. I know it's so hard for so many. That's my urgency in making sure that we don't reopen the wrong way. I don't want to create more pain. We've had enough. But we're getting through it with our greatest medicine, our greatest power, our greatest strength, our compassion from one another. If we keep that, it will guide us to where we need to go. If we think about how to keep each other safe, we will not create any big bang just for effect. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon. Starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.